I am mining investor and editor of Resource Stock Digest, Gerardo del Real, here with my partner, Senor Mr. Nicolas Hodge, who's also an investor and the publisher of Daily Profit Cycle. This is the 252nd episode of our weekly therapy session that we like to call Investing in Bizarro World. We're going to talk markets, we're going to talk gold, we're going to talk on Patriot Battery Metals, we're going to talk crypto exchanges, uranium, a lot to get to as always. First and foremost, Senor Hodge, how goes you? Estoy bien. Gerardo, um, how are you? Excelente, excelente. Let's, um, let, let's get to it. We talked a bit off air, right? Let's start with the markets and it's... Um, Let's start with the overall indices, which you follow more closely than I do, right? It seems like the markets are schizophrenic, for lack of a better word, right? It, 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 the, the facts don't line up with the trading action. And it almost seems to me like, you know, there's some behind the scenes, like intervention and in buying. Because when I, when I square the data that I'm seeing come out of, um, you know, the government's own numbers and, and I compare that with stock market performance, it seems like there's a disconnect there. One of those things has to correct, I would think, for this trading pattern in the overall indices to continue. Thoughts on, 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 on kind of the bifurcation there, what's going on with it? Because it seems, again, schizophrenic is the best word I can use for it. It's been a bit of head, head scratcher, to be honest. So um, lots of things going on. You've got the, the stock market coming back up to um, near uh, all-time record highs, uh, which it fell off of in, in early 2022. Uh, you've got an election year, which is, is very interesting. Um, and you've got Yellen, remember, who is in the uh, Biden administration, who can can move markets with her words and has done so before. Um, you talk about a, a, maybe not manipulation, but a they or a thumb on the scale. And, you know, that can materialize it in sort of different ways. Last year, we were talking about the, the materialization of the um, short term or zero uh, days till expiration um, options phenomenon. And that's still been a thing. Like, um, heading into the end of 2023 in late December there, there was um, record notional short-term call buying that was seemingly propping that market up, right? Because you only have to do that either on the spies or on those you know few stocks that are um, now responsible for, on any given day, 30 to 50% of the movement in that um, S&P index. So there's uh, definitely uh, some of that still going on. Um, what else as far as the they like look at the cpi numbers which we should talk about because they just came out like uh, remember it was goldilocks in december the fed was easing inflation was coming down um and you you like drill down into those cpi numbers and there was things in there like i don't know health insurance costs came down 27 percent for the month <laughs> like, did your health insurance costs go down 27 percent? like i mean we pay by the way I, as you know 100 percent of the health insurance premiums um, for all of our employees because we're yes, generous we employers. And I can attest that um, our insurance costs certainly did not go down 27% in December. So there's another sort of uh, manipulation or massaging of the data. And hey, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but the, the government often and throughout history has changed the calculation of that data, right? To how they calculate the CPI. So there's lots of that, you know, sort of layers of the onion on, on how the establishment and, and the government gets involved. At the end of the day, it's sort of the same as it was, um, mm. or at least what I was telling you. Inflation remains sticky high. You've got the CPI came back out at three point four percent. Housing prices, the shelter inflation, starting to tick back up. Um, you've got a Fed who said that they're going to cut this year, but they've got inflation going the wrong way. Um, and yet, 
a, a couple of things. Um, I see, I'm looking at the two-year yield. It went down today on what mm-hmm. should have been like a hawkish CPI yep. print, right? Yep. So that was interesting. Um, the 10-year sort of stayed flat. Gold struggled to hold positions. So yep. uh, it's like I say, it, it's a bit of a head scratcher um, uh, right now. Maybe I'll have some more to add to that, but what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts on the overall indices are with you. Uh, the, 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 all the narratives can't play out, right? Something is going to have to change. Either we're not going to get rate cuts or, or we are, but then the inflation data, the CPI number has to cooperate. We have housing defaults at the highest level in over a decade. Now we have a dollar index that, you know, is, is held in there well at 102 Gold looks like it's, you know, setting up for its next leg higher. I would, I'm curious to get your technical analysis on that, Nick, because I know that you and I have had conversations um, as, as we do, you know, almost daily on, on Patriot battery metals. And, you know, I, I, I know that your order filled today. You had told me, and we talked about this on this podcast here before you had said that the gap had to fill that I think it was 827 and sure enough, it filled today, right? It, 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 it traded uh, just above the $8 level. And so um, I'm, I, I say all that to say, uh, technically, where do you see gold overall indices? I, I can't make sense of them, but I don't trade them the way that you do. Um, and then we'll talk resource stocks in a second, because I think uh, there's there, there's some good uh, conversations to be had around uh, supply, demand, and uh, where I see that going, because that's exciting to me. Yeah, um, I was going to say one more thing on the the macro markets, and that, that's back to that election year, right? So one of the things is going to be, can the administration... Is the administration willing to prop up the the stock market, the economy, the the economic prints uh, because it's an election year? And so, this is a takeaway. This is something you should be watching, you Gerardo, but you the the viewer is. <laughs> does the government does the government have the the wherewithal and the, and the license to continue to run up the debt and issue stimulus? Right, um. Um, and it's getting very interesting because. Uh, Moody's already cut the the creditworthiness of the of the U.S. If you remember, uh, from stable to more risky, that was just in November. I know the past couple of months are a blur. Um, and, and at the same time, you have people that are you know very much not worried about the the debt on the bo- on both sides um, of the of the aisle. Even the New York Times was writing last week that the debt matters again. Uh, and so it, it just that's one narrative to watch: is the government going to be able to prop it up? And so um, anyway, I wanted to get that out. As far as gold is concerned, um, I might need a couple more days to to figure it out. But I like that it's held up above 2000. I didn't like that it pulled back from the 2040 or 2050 level. Um, but remaining above 2000 um, gives it the energy it needs to, to, to stay in bullish trend. Um, it doesn't let it get too far ahead of itself. I've told you that in, in order to get to the next leg up, you really got to get to 2100 anyway. Uh, as long as you remain above 2000, I think you're technically and psychologically sound. Um, we talked about a bit of a pullback in the gold equities last week, and that continued this week into the into the CPI print, uh, because I think people thought that um, it was going to be a little bit hot, which it was, which mm-hmm. meant that the Fed was going to have to remain uh, hawkish, i.e. keep rates higher for longer, which is bad for gold. Um and so the GDX and the GDXJ sold off a little bit. I mean, I look at the, you know gold equities that I own, and they sold off. So uh, it remains to be seen if this is a buying opportunity um, or a, a breakdown. I don't, I can't give you the answer right now, but um, I would lean towards a buying opportunity, and, and that's what I've been doing in, in the, on the gold stock on the gold stocks. 
Uh, buying opportunity, uh, Patriot. How's 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 that gap now that it's closed? How's that looking technically? I know. Look, anytime I get friends and subscribers that have made <laughs> millions of dollars <laughs> texting me and, and and telling me, you know, is this it? Is is it going back to three? Is it going back to two? Is it going back to a dollar? Um, I know we're near a bottom, right? And I'm getting the calls and I'm getting the comments on Twitter. Um, and and and, and you know, I mean, frankly, look, you know, my personal portfolio, it's it's up and down you know, millions of dollars uh, just on that position alone. Um, but again, context matters. We hit 52-week highs in June, right? So the way that the stock trades has always been volatile since the 16th cent level. It's done this many, many times. Yes, the price action is frustrating given the catalyst that uh, we have for 2024. It'd be nice to get some news out. I'm hoping for news Hopefully next week, would love an update on the Albemarle relationship, would love some assays, would love to see what kind of grades we're hitting at CV9. As I said a couple of weeks ago, look, a lot of unanswered questions, right? I think we're going to start getting those answers. And I, I, I suspect the news will continue to be very, very positive. But make no mistake, just like every other Patriot shareholder, I don't care if you get in at $0.16 cents or $16, the last six months of price action has been frustrating because we know... It's a once-in-a-generation asset that absolutely merits a much higher valuation, especially when we compare Corvette to its Australian peers and the valuations that a lot of those companies um, are and were attracting um, either before they were bought out or or since. So thoughts technically on Patriot. I think the resource sector has been frustrating across the board. I mean, mm. coming out of 2023, we haven't really seen the uh, a post-tax law selling bounce, right? Mm. Um, at least I haven't. Uh, I don't. Nope. I don't know what you're seeing out there. And uh, in, within, with notwithstanding uranium, I would say but we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. um, Just touched the by the way. Did it really? Wow. Um, I did not see that. That's very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Made me lose my train of thought. Good lord. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, that's all right. But the lithium sector itself has been soft, not just Patriot, right? So um, we know lots of the equities are down, even the Albemarles and um, the yep. Alchems of the world, which, by the way, should start trading here this week um, uh, under the, the new name. But um, so the, the entire industry has been soft and the headlines haven't helped. Like there was a headline this week. Um, remember last year, Hertz was selling or buying all these electric cars, right? And Hertz is getting in. These rental car agencies are buying all these cars. Well, this week, there was a headline that Hertz is selling a bunch of electric cars because the, the demand hasn't materialized yet. And they're using the proceeds to, to buy internal combustion cars, right? Going yep. back to like yeah, engines. So those sort of narrative headlines don't help. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the, the, the supply and demand fundamentals based on the, you know, the gigafactories and the projections and, and all that still stand. And so we're generally in a pullback in the sector. And so I did resources down to lithium and I'll get all the way down to Patriot. But Patriot specifically took off like a bat out of hell in 2023. And that's yep. where the gap materialized. It's, yep. it's been exactly a year. That gap was uh, in the third week of January 2023 when the, the, the shares gapped up from low $8 um, to above $9 in one day. Well, you know, that kind of gap, as I've told you many, many times, it can't exist. Like it has to get filled. It's one of the things I learned. Uh, very young uh, from uh, older traders that, that yeah. old publishing company that I used to work at is gaps get filled. Oh, gaps like get that's filled. One, that's one of the things. So um, there was a gap on the chart and I've told you that a lot and it pulled back to um, that level this week. I had a limit order set. I told you I would buy more if it got to that level. Now, um, is that the absolute bottom? Like does the, you know, does the 
share price do a three point turn right at you know eight fifteen or eight twenty <laughs> or whatever it is. I'm not sure, but and what it does is it alleviates that that overhang or that concern from from the chart from technicians and it fills that gap which needed to be done for shares to go higher. Um, I was telling you and I told subscribers and talked about on this podcast last year there was a gap in the in the Bravo mining chart, which is another. Yep. Super high quality play that has been successful for us and delivered returns um, went from something like sixty four cents where we financed it to um, you know well above three dollars but there was a gap in the chart I forget where it was now two sixty or two seventy two eighty yeah. somewhere around there um, and it had to pull back to that and it did uh, but it can linger around there because what happens is it can it can end up consolidating around the the gap in the in the in the chart so. Um, all that to say, I'm content to buy here. I did buy more Patriot at this price. That was what I was waiting for to buy. Um, but I can't be 100% sure that that's a, you know, a bottoming signal for Patriot or the entire lithium space, right? Um, but I do think that it's uh, getting oversold in general, not just Patriot, but uh, the entire lithium space again. So when I look at other companies that I'm involved in, like Critical Elements, for example, um, and that stock's back near 52-week lows as, 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 as they've yet to get a financier partner to the um, table. And so um, anyway, uh, my answer is getting long in the tooth, but the, the, the gap filled and I bought more. And uh, I think lithium in general is, is getting pretty cheap. I like it. You know, it's not getting cheap and it's not going to get any cheaper anytime soon is uranium, right? I mentioned that uh, uranium markets uh, just reported that it touched the hundred dollar level. It's playing. I mean, how much exactly. did that up today? There was a uh, that, multiple yeah, dollars in one very bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it opened at ninety five, right? right? That was the last close that I had seen. And you know, if 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 the print that I just saw um, here on, on 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 Twitter is accurate or X is accurate, uh, <laughs> jumping from ninety five to a hundred, um, and and the utility still haven't come off the sidelines is makes my contrarian art giddy, right? Because I know we positioned well for it ahead of time and had subscribers positioned well. And now it's time to sit back and uh, watch the gains that pile up, which is good in light of, you know, the, the pullback that a lot of the resource space has experienced. I'm super excited about Uranium. And um, I think we, we played the pullback beautifully. Some people, uh, especially yeah. on the X, um, <laughs> were complaining, you know, throw, yep. throwing in the towel, similar as we saw before. And I was telling you, um, in fact, I think one of the titles of the podcast a couple of weeks ago was uranium, like gaining steam for next lake higher, gaining energy yep. for next lake higher or something like that. And so, um, we bought energy fuels at dip below seven. Um, I think that's a good value. And it, not only is the price, the spot price shaping up well, but you know, other things continue to, to play out and, and, and I've said this a lot. So, uh, but things continue to play out. So. Um, here goes my broken record. You know, for a while we were waiting for all these things, right? Japanese restarts and, yep. um, you know, whatever it was, small modular reactors and utilities to come back in. And now all these dominoes are falling, right? Like Japan has recommitted to nuclear and said they're building more plants. And not only are all these dominoes falling, but like new ones are coming into the fold that weren't included in like the previous bull case scenario. Um, one thing I saw in the past couple of weeks was like France extending the life of its nuclear reactors, for example, which and wasn't accounted for in like, you know, previous demand projections for uh, uranium. And then uh, this week there was more government action with uh, uh, DOE say it was going to spend, I think, $500 million to secure um, HALU for, you know, future U.S. Uh, requirement needs. And so you continue to be inside the bull market, which is the line I've been using that you anticipated for so long. 
Um, and now things are, are happening that, and you have to play differently. It's not just buy and wait, but it's, you know, be able to analyze pullbacks and where you're at in the cycle and, and be willing to entertain new ideas. Like um, I told you about a company called Nuclear Fuels recently, and you were telling me about, you know, Premier American Lithium. Like there's new deals coming because we yep. continue to be in a bull market that plays out. So spin outs, consolidations, new issues, et cetera. And I think it's going to continue to be fun. It, trees don't grow to the sky, uh, of course, but the uranium stocks haven't grown to the sky. That's one of the things we've discussed in the past couple of weeks is that they haven't kept up with that uh, uranium price. And so now there's a gap between the uranium price and the uranium equities. Um, and as with most things in life, the truth is probably somewhere you know in the middle. The uranium equities got to go up a little bit and you probably get a little bit of a shakeout in the uranium price before you know you overshoot to 150 or 200 or whatever it ends up being. But um, that's where we are in the cycle. And, and, the, and those are the things to be paying attention to. And, and it's been fun to you know buy stuff on pullbacks and watch things go to new 52-week highs and you know look at stocks that you were buying in 2016 and 2017 and then see how the returns have shaken out. Um, what's not so fun is taxes, which we may also talk about in this episode. <laughs> Oof, tell me about it. Let's give people their money's worth here, Nick. Uh, free podcast. Uh, what, what what do you like in the uranium space? And I'll share a couple of names because I have a couple that we helped finance recently. I personally participated in the standard uranium financing market cap of $11, $12 million, I believe. It hasn't participated higher with the rest of the uranium equities. So I'm eager and excited um, to see what the company has in store this year. Good team, good projects. I expect a lot of activity. Um, the second one that it, it, it's, it's open right now, right? We have a second uranium company. I won't give away that name, but that has a market cap of four or $5 million, um, which is a measly market cap in these markets. I think, you know, when it's all said and done, these uranium names that have five, six, $7 million market caps are going to be trading in, in, you know, triple digit million market caps, not, not, not million dollar market caps. The, the one I bought most recently is the one I just mentioned, Energy Fuels. And um, we've been in that since uh, a $4 handle. Um, it ran to over a $7 handle. And then I just bought more when it pulled back below $7. Um, there's other uranium stocks that I own and, mm -hmm. and that I'm bullish on, of course, but that's the one that I've, I've purchased most uh, recently. One that's done really well and that didn't have a a pullback that was commensurate with the rest of the space was UEC. Mm -hmm. I was looking at that chart. I was looking at that chart this week and, you know, it's firmly at, at 52 week highs. It has some really good announcements um, with Terra Power recently. And yep. uh, that ties them directly into this recent DOE announcement, right? Because uh, Reuters article that I read was talking specifically about Terra Power. So um, that continues to be a go-to name in the, in the space, obviously. And here has done very well to, to position that company for success in what is now an ongoing uranium bull market. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I, I want to encourage and invite people to uh, check out uh, Nick and I's accredited private placement service. Um, there's, an, there's a uranium deal right now that's open that, you know, subscribers are going to take advantage of. And again, I think, you know, it's not too late to find companies that haven't participated in, you know, the run up in the uranium spot price. There's a lot out there to like, there's a lot of ways to make money in this market, folks. Um, just got to pick your poison and, and, and stick to it, right? Mm -hmm. Got to talk crypto. Uh, Bitcoin ETF, big deal. Uh, all of it kissed, flirted with the 50,000 level before pulling back to 46,000. Um, you are more in tune with crypto. Mr. Chris Curl, our local in-house expert, has absolutely nailed the call 
um, uh, especially as as it re relates to Bitcoin, right? We allocated some fifty thousand of our own money, and and then basically said, "Here you go, go invest in crypto uh, coins for us." And look, in in what's just now starting to perk back up, coming out of a tough bear market, that account is up some fifty five percent, if I'm not mistaken. And word, he's just getting cooking. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Thoughts there on the ETF approval and how you see things playing out. Yeah, it's good to be up on uh, real money in a, in a crypto portfolio. It, it's good to have skin in the game, and not just for us, but for uh, subscribers as well who have followed him into the uh, various uh, cryptocurrencies, altcoins, and, and projects that he's uh, recommended. And um, I think just getting started, uh, given the the Bitcoin cycle that that we see ahead for catalysts that Chris has laid out pretty quickly, um, yep. one of which you just mentioned was the... Uh, approval of a, a Bitcoin um, ETF, which uh, happened this week, last week, by the time you watch this, which saw um, 11 new uh, Bitcoin ETFs start trading in, in one day from, you know, such big houses as Fidelity and, and BlackRock, for example, which um, obviously begets a lot of buying in the uh, Bitcoin space, which you saw reflected in the, the price run up from a 44 or $45,000 to close to 50, as you just said, very quickly. Um, I don't know if it's going to, you know, continue going to the sky. You have other catalysts that are going to play out. The next one is going to be the having. Um, and so maybe we should get Chris on here to give us an update. But um, Bitcoin is is bullish. Ethereum uh, was up significantly as as well on the news. I'm not sure you're going to get a, an Ethereum ETF um, at all or, or um, anytime in the near future. But um, other coins are going up as well. Like uh, he's made a lot of money on, on Solana. And so. Yeah. Um, there's other things. There's other things to to buy that that get bullish when when Bitcoin gets bullish, and, and Chris writes about that. The other thing I'd say is this: it changes the game a little bit, uh, not just for Bitcoin, but for investors, right? Because um, it was pretty hard to to own Bitcoin. Not hard. I, I shouldn't say hard. It was you had to do some different things to own Bitcoin, especially if you wanted to self custody it, as I told you I, I do with my Bitcoin. But now. Just like gold, you can go out and, and you would buy a GLD to put in your IRA, for example, your retirement account. Now it's very easy to put Bitcoin in your retirement account. And so that's interesting to me, right? Because um, if you can buy a, a, a Bitcoin ETF and then not have to pay gains on that, and you're expecting the coin, uh, as I am, and as many other people are, to go to uh, six figures or perhaps even higher, then uh, that's a pretty interesting proposition to not have to pay taxes on that, especially if you can get it in a raw. So um, it's certainly a watershed moment for the entire crypto space to get these these cryptos approved. And I think will bring more interest into the space and be get more buying over time. And just looking at search trends and, and Twitter trends, et cetera, you know, the things I've seen trending in the past couple of days are BTC, Bitcoin, ETF, Fidelity, um, Vanguard, even though Vanguard's not going to do one. Um, but these are the things that, you know, are, are driving searches and, and driving engagement. And then people are clearly interested. So, um, we'll see what happens, but these other uh, catalysts are going to continue to materialize as we get into the spring of, of 2024. So, um, we're following that real money portfolio, I would say, cause we don't expect to lose money, right? We would have given him 50 no. K, uh, to blow. And so uh, he continues to buy things. Those issues come out every two weeks and uh, he's done a great job at, as showing people how to buy coins and the exchanges to use, et cetera. So by all means, check out the uh, Chris Curl's crypto cycle and his million dollar crypto club. 
you know, we had a really good conversation with Chris earlier in the week, and we were talking about the type of returns that big fund managers um, would need to walk away from the space, oh, yeah. right? And some people said, you know, 25% annually, and some people said 15% annually. And the number was comical, right? The actual number that a lot of these fund managers cited um, on, on a year-over-year basis for them to just walk away from the game was, you want to tell them, Nick? It was like three to five percent, and we're talking about people who manage, you know, billions and billions of dollars, endowment funds, and 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 things like that. But it's just interesting to to look at the difference between how you know a professional money manager looks at returns, um, and cycles and performance versus, uh, you know, what has seemingly become a, not run of the mill, but expected in the newsletter space, right, where people are constantly talking about and seeking out. And multiples on their money and thousand percent returns and by all means those are great i mean you know being up ten thousand percent on patriot changes lives of course um but that's you're talking more about speculation and sure um well you're talking more about speculation and what happens is um you would never or you shouldn't i should say you know put enough capital in those in those <laughs> things i know you're laughing gerardo to, to to do that year after year right so when you're talking about how you know money is professionally managed against the S and P yep. using bonds and and large cap funds and ETFs. The the expectations are much lower, and so um, for those of us who don't have the balls to to roll the dice like that with sixteen cent stocks, um, they do have a portion of por- of our portfolio in, in, in safer things. Um, you know, it's good to be able to outperform the market as we have with foundational profits. Is what I was going to say. So and this is where this conversation goes. I'm sort of ranting, but I, I was no, reading no, this Fidelity rant. report the other day, and Fidelity is huge. They have 45 million retirement accounts, right, um, in Fidelity. And they put out a report that said uh, those accounts haven't gained any value in the past five years. The, the average balance heading into 2024 is the same as the average balance in 2018, 2019. Um, and that's alarming, right? It means Americans haven't had any appreciation of the retirement accounts in half a decade. Uh, and then what was more interesting is it wasn't just because the stock market hasn't gone up in the past two years. Uh, it was because people are taking money out of them because they can't afford uh, basically their day-to-day lifestyle. They're taking money out to afford their their homes, to avoid foreclosures, and they're taking money out for, for health care and things. And so anyway, it gets into a broader conversation, but it, I was thinking to myself, where is this growth going to come from if the consumer is, you know, already tapping their their 401ks and IRAs for um, hardship withdrawals? But the point I was going to make was that certainly my retirement account is not flat for the past five years. And the, the foundational <laughs> profits portfolio in that time has outperformed the S&P by more than 25%. And if you pull back to 10 years, because I've been doing this a long time now, if you can see my gray patch, is um, we've outperformed the S&P by more than 100%. So um, anyway, just some things to think about there in terms of, uh, returns and, and, and we got off on a little bit of a, a tangent, but, um, yeah, we made a lot of money on, on, on Bitcoin and, and altcoins deliver, you know, these huge returns that, that people get excited about and s- small cap, uh, mining stocks can deliver huge returns. Um, and that's wonderful. And we offer services for that, right? Like specialized trading and or speculation services, but, you know, there's a whole cadre of, at the investment world who would be content with, with three to 5%. And if that's you, um, I've got good news for you. I can probably double that fairly easily. So anyway, 
all that to plug our services, I guess. Um, foundational no, profit, absolutely. The crypto well, circle, and for the more speculative stuff, Junior Resource Monthly, and uh, soon to be Junior Resource Speculator. You got it. And and look, I'm going to plug uh, the crypto cycle one more time, uh, just because Chris has been great. And in, to finish that conversation, when I asked Chris um, what he would need, you know, he said, "Well, if I get 300 percent on this fifty thousand that." Um, you guys gave me to, to to allocate. I would be disappointed with those returns. We don't get into um, trading coins and crypto for three hundred percent returns. It, it has to be more lucrative. So if you're wondering what kind of pressure uh, and approach Chris uh, puts on himself to deliver, that that he'd be disappointed with a three hundred percent return if that's all that portfolio turned into. So um, yeah, that brings me to uh, you. Keep saying the T word, taxes. <laughs> We know it's that time of the year, Nick. And uh, I mean, look, the, the beautiful thing about gains are that means we made money, right? And the not so beautiful thing is Uncle Sam definitely wants um, his cut. And, and and so you 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 want to talk about taxes a bit? Yeah, there's a couple of points I wanted to make. I'm not sure if they're cogent or if they relate to each other, but I'll just blurt them out. So uh, tax day is obviously April uh, 15th, but you can start filing on January 29th, which was recent news uh, that just came out. So worth mentioning that. Uh, but the two other points I wanted to make is that um, you and I often delay filing our taxes, right? Because every year. It, right. It, well, here's what I'm going to say. What I, I had a discussion with my accountant recently and accountants often encourage you to at least, you know, if not file on time, you know, prepay, sure. pay quarterly or whatever. So you're not paying the uh penalties and the interest expense, um, which yep. I always do. I always pay the, the penalties and then the interest expense. But what's changed this year is that um, interest rates are up. And so mm. uh, the IRS takes full advantage of that, right? And so the, the penalty that you'll be paying this year is much higher than it was in, in previous years because we're no longer in a zero interest rate environment. And so it's worth taking a look at that because depending on what your tax bill is, um, in that interest rate, um, the penalties are going to be much higher this year than they have been in, in previous years. So um, th that was the the one thing I wanted to say. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say sort of relates back to we were just talking about the creditworthiness of the United States and and the ability to to raise uh, um, or to the ability to write more checks and, and continue to to fund the debt. Well. Um, you know how a budget works, Gerardo. You either have to spend less uh, or you have to bring more <laughs> in, right? And yep. so I don't know about you, but our government hasn't been in the business of spending less for, no. I don't know, a half a century or so or longer, uh, 80 years, probably since World War II. So um, also, uh, you know, in that early part of, of, of that last century, they instituted the thing called the, the income tax, right, which we were just talking about. Yep. Um, which nobody likes to pay. And so it, I need to prepare a little bit more to have a broader discussion about that. But, you know, one of the things that's going to enter this, you know, fourth turning dialogue in the next couple of years are these hard questions, right? We talk a lot about the um, social side of it um, and things like that, but there's a fiscal side of it that has issues as well. And we talk about how problems are going to be solved. If you remember, you won't remember because you weren't alive, but <laughs> um, you know, in the last fourth turning to solve some of these problems, they did raise taxes, right? Um, <laughs> and that's going to happen again is the point that, that I was going to make, right? Uh, we know that, you know, uh, wealth is is increasingly coming under fire and focus from the government. You know, the Democrats talk about, and, and, and Biden in, in his last election run talked about 
you know, staffing up and, and fully funding the IRS, for example. Um, and we know since, you know, 2001, there's been an increased focus on transactions, right? Um, the suspicious transactions, forms, et cetera. And I don't know about you, but uh, I've been writing checks. We say writing checks into companies for 10, 10 years or so, but really you send a wire, right? And I'm starting to rant a little bit. But what I've noticed in the past 10 years is the questions that my bank asks me when I send out those wires, they haven't been reduced. They've been increased, right? Yep. As far as, you know, where, why are you sending this money? Where is it going to? Have you confirmed? What are you doing with this money again? So, and yeah. um, I've seen that increase. Anyway, I've been seeing that increase in the past couple of years of sending out my own personal money. And so what's going to happen as, as we get into this political turning is um, an increased grab from the government for, for, for tax revenue, right? Um, from, from corporations and, and wealthy individuals. And that's just something to be cognizant of. That's nothing new, but given that it's, we're coming up on tax time and, uh, the increased interest rates that, that I was just mentioning, I mean, you know, one of my tenets has always been, you know, pay as few taxes as possible, you know, however that is through, um, good capital harvesting and, and tax management, having a good accounting accountant, getting good advice, et cetera. And so, um, uh, just putting that out there again in the ether, because, that the government's need for tax revenue isn't going to, to decrease anytime soon. No, it's not. Um, 2024 is off to a really interesting start, right? We have, it's an election year. We have wonky markets. And then we have weather patterns that are increasingly, increasingly volatile, right? Just here in Austin, Texas, I went for my jog this morning. It was 71 degrees. Next three days, in three days, there's going to be a low of 13, 14 degrees, right? And so freeze-ups here in Austin and just outside of Austin in Georgetown and Round Rock, where I'm at, are, are, are just a part of the annual norm now, right? The last two winters here in Austin have been the coldest winters on record. And this year doesn't look like it's going to be very forgiving. What do you make of these weather patterns? I mean, we can we can we can hate the policy around climate change and the politics behind climate change, but I mean, it's climate; it changes, right? It's very real. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it's getting hotter. Sometimes it's getting colder. Any thoughts there, Nick? Um, well, I've long said that, that that climate change is real. I mean, you can see the changes in the in the intensity um, of weather patterns, whether it's temperature or rainfall or winds, um, and and you just mentioned a, a couple of those things there. So you're getting the temperature, right? Um, and I saw that it's supposed to get cold in, in, in Austin, Texas again. And, and you guys had problems with that a couple of years ago, that the freezing of infrastructure sure. um, and, and brownouts and, and blackouts and that sort of stuff. But really in the past couple of weeks, it's been a nationwide phenomenon of extreme weather events. On the East Coast, there was a wind and rainstorm that swept the entire Eastern seaboard. We have um, a colleague in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, whose basement flooded with hundreds of gallons of um, water. My parents are um, in the northeast corner of Maryland. Uh, my dad said they had multiple trees down, winds near 70 miles per hour. He said they have a trampoline uh, for the grandkids. He said he staked it down with um, heavy rebar, uh, like down into the ground, and the wind was so strong it, it pulled it up. Anyway, um, and then on up northward into Philadelphia, we have colleagues and friends who are without power for, for two or three days. And yeah. I've read reports that some people in the greater Philadelphia area are going to be without power for five or six days. That's relatively unheard of in the yeah. um, 21st century on the eastern seaboard. So um, these storms are intense and they're, they're damaging the infrastructure. Uh, 
here in Spokane in the Pacific Northwest, I just wrapped my well up in insulation because we're going to go to negative 10 or perhaps a bit lower um, in the next four days. But the heat lamps out for the chickens did all that good stuff. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, the extremes are, are such that it's affecting lots of stuff. So, uh, I don't want to get too long in the tooth, but, um, one is insurance. We've seen it being increasingly difficult to get insurance in some coastal cities that are at risk of flood and more intense storms. Um, even where I live, because, um, I live in a, in a cabin uh, constructed of, of timber logs. It's tough for me to get insurance because we're in a fire area. And as you probably know, those fires yeah. aren't getting any less intense or frequent. Nope. Um, the past two summers have been uh, pretty dangerous for fires uh, around where I live. And so uh, I tried to switch, in fact, insurances uh, a couple of months ago. And, and some carriers told me outright that they wouldn't insure my home. So there's that aspect of climate change uh, going on. But then there's the opportunity, right? Which yep. um, I'm keenly interested in and have been for over a decade now. And that's the solutions that emerge uh, for decarbonization, electrification, and all these trends that come from uh, the solutions for climate change. So obviously, one of the big things recently has been the not aptly named Inflation Reduction Act. Um, <laughs> but those billions are starting to be spent by utilities uh, and other companies to um, carry out all the things that were in that bill from batteries to uh, infrastructure, grid bit outs, electric charging stations, wind farms, all the stuff, right? It's it's starting to happen this year. So using the weather as an in to talk about some of that stuff, it, it seemed like a good way to do it because uh, from the West Coast where I am to, to Texas where you are to the East Coast, as we just outlined, significant grid challenges. Uh, we lost power the other night. Uh, we had a windstorm. This cold front came in and it came with 50 mile per hour winds. Um, uh, and we lost power the other night, you know. Um, the one thing I would say is that we've taken preparatory steps because some of us saw these things coming, right? We saw that the climate was changing and, and I knew that there was going to be stress on the grid. And so my backup generator turned on and, and my kids had their nightlights while the power was out for the neighbors. So, um, it's good to plan and it's good to have foresight. And that's not just about uh, your house and, and your grid and your generator, but it's also about how this affects uh, or can affect your portfolio. So. Um, all that to say, um, buying uh, things that benefit from that, not just uh, lithium stocks and uranium stocks, but also select utility stocks um, and, and even, you know, inputs for some of these batteries and, and transistors that we need. So um, and I also think it's going to be a, a pretty hot debate topic, by the way, as well, mm. once we get past um, this Republican primary and, and into the, the, the lead up to the general election. So. Um, uh, stay tuned for more, but we do have a new video out about this uh, election and, and all the money that's going to be spent on renewables and, and how that could, um, you know, play a part in the outcome. So uh, we'll put a link up for you to check that out. I'm supposed to remind you, as always, to go to dailyprofitcycle.com forward slash subscribe for all my rantings and ravings, Mr. Hodges Insights and the insights of our talented group of editors that cover everything from tech to crypto to resource stocks. You name it, you'll probably find some good, useful, free information there. Mr. Hodge, anything else you need to get off your chest? That $100 print, by the way, on Uranium is, 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 is legit. Officially up $5.20 today. And I don't think it's going to be long before we get to the $150 level. 
Buckle up, everybody. It's going to be a profitable year to be positioned in the uranium space. Lithium will come after it. Copper will come after it. Gold will go alongside with it. But it's uh, it's uranium time right now. And we'll be talking about this weekend. Um, uh, that's how I'll send you off at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, January 21st and 22nd, I believe it is, um, in Vancouver, obviously. So uh, hope to see you there. Our flights are booked, I believe. And um, <laughs> About to send over the title of my talk. So um, if you're around, hope to see you there. And um, if not, uh, Cambridge House typically does a good job of getting all those talks and sessions out on their YouTube channel. So stay warm and uh, have a good week. Looking forward to it. I am Gerardo Del Real along with Mr. Nick Hodge. This was your 252nd episode of Investing in Bizarro World. Have an awesome week out there, everyone. See ya. Hey there, you independent-minded investor. If you like this video, make sure to tell us so by clicking the like button below. Subscribe to our channel so you never miss another one. And share it with everyone you know on social media. You can also click the link in the description below to check out more information-packed videos just like this one. Thanks for watching.